Welcome to Tardi Mechanach Yomi with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Adina Schmidman, and today we will be learning Perek Tezayin 16. Yesterday, we learned about the division of the lands of Yehuda, the first Shevet to receive cities in the land of Israel. Today and tomorrow, we will be learning about the boundaries and cities of Shevet Yosef. The Shvatim of Yehuda and Yosef are always vying for the leadership. The kingship from Yehuda, the leadership of Yehoshua from Ephraim. They're Shvatim who are critical to the leadership and direction of our people. Their encampment in the desert reflected the prominence of position of these two Shvatim. Ephraim, Binyamin, and Menashe were facing the Levite family of Gershon right across from the Kodesh HaKadashim, the Holy of Holies. The Shevet of Yehuda, Yisachar, and Zavulan camped next to the leadership, Moshe, Aaron, and the Kohanim, facing the approach to the Mishkan, the courtyard with the various vessels. Positioned in the desert and positioned in Israel, suggesting prominence of these two Shvatim. Their position both in role and in the reality of land allocation was clear. Their relationship was not always one of peace and harmony. Often there was competition for political leadership as well as religious dominance. We'll see later in the Navi that Yeravam ben Nevat from Shevet Ephraim divides the people and tragically creates the kingdom of Israel, Malchus Yisrael, leaving Malchus Yehuda with just Yehuda and Binyamin and small groups from the other tribes. Our prophets explain that this rivalry will continue until the time of the Geula, the redemption, when the Gemara Sukkah, Nun Beis Amad Aleph, explains that there will be two messianic figures, the first known as Mashiach ben Yosef, a political and military leader, and the second Mashiach ben David, a spiritual leader. And at that time, we will recognize that each of these leaders is critical to assure Hashem's dominion in the land. But we're getting way ahead of ourselves. So let's come back to our Perak, Perak Tezayin, Pasuk Aleph 1. Vayetze HaGoral Livnei Yosef Meyardein Yericho Lemei Yericho Mizracha. And the lot for the children of Yosef went out from the Yardain opposite Yericho to the waters of Yericho to the east. Hamidbar Ola Mi Yericho Bahar Beis El. The wilderness that ascends from Yericho to the mountain to Beis El. I invite you to read these psukim and listen for the names of familiar cities. Some of the cities are where they are today. Some of the city names are used today. Reading the names is like looking at an album of old photographs. Some of the pictures are labeled. There's Aunt Franny and Uncle Sid and there's Great Grandma in that photo. And then there are people who you don't know and there's no one to ask as that generation is no longer. But they are in your album and at some point were connected to your family. These places have meaning, even if we can't access those memories today. Pasuk Dalad 4, Vayin Chalu B'nei Yosef, Menashe Ve'Ephraim. As mentioned yesterday, the territories of Yehuda and Yosef are given more attention than the other Shvatim. 
The areas of these two Shvatim both stretch from the Yardane River to the Mediterranean Sea. The description of the territories for both Shvatim are presented with a narrative where women play a prominent role. Yehuda with Achsa and Yosef, as we'll see in the next parak, with the daughters of Slavchad. These are women who are devoted to the land and advocate for their values and mission. We feel the push and pull of these two Shvatim, whose leadership traits push them forward, sometimes at odds with each other, even when the themes and messages are similar. Ultimately, these two Shvatim will be united, as described in Sefer Yecheskel, Perak Lamid Zayin, Psukim Tezvav Tochav Ches. We read this as the Haftorah of Parshas Vayigash, the Parsha which begins with the showdown of Yehuda and Yosef. Yecheskel depicts a symbolic fusion of two branches or blocks of wood, representing the divided Jewish people embodied by Yehuda and Yosef highlighting that ultimately the redemption can only be achieved when these two branches unite. Following the transmission of this prophecy, Yechezkel is told that the people will ask, Will you not tell us what these things are to you? It might seem perplexing why a message of unity needs clarification. Isn't the concept self-evident? But unfortunately, as we know, unity is not simple. And after a prolonged exile, when people have not been physically together, they no longer share a common experience. And without that shared narrative, the points of connection diminish and the people drift apart. So how then can these different groups be reunited? And what purpose would such unity serve? The Radak proposes two possibilities in interpreting the imagery of wooden blocks fusing. Firstly, through sheer strength and persistent effort, these entities can be joined. Secondly, he suggests a thought from his father that there's a miraculous fusion, creating a new entity, a complete piece of wood. Notably, this analogy implies that for two pieces of wood to become one, they must originate from the same source. Yechezkel's response to the people emphasizes that despite the absence of a shared national narrative, they, or we, are fundamentally the same people. We're cut from the same original piece of wood. Reuniting is not about reinvention, but returning to our shared essence. This message is remarkably relevant today, especially amidst a catastrophic war in Israel. Despite the fact that the Jewish nation is spread across the globe, we are united in our connection to the land of Israel. In facing these challenges, we should find solace in the understanding that the return to our homeland is grounded in the recognition that despite geographic divisions, we are one spiritual unit. Our connection transcends physical space, uniting us as one nation forever. The prophetic words of the Torah underscore this unity. Va'asisi osam l'goyachad ba'aretz 
I will make them into a single nation in the land. And they will have one king over all of them. They will no longer be two nations and they will no longer be divided into two kingdoms ever again. These words echo the timeless truth that our unity surpasses geographical boundaries, ensuring our perpetual oneness as a nation. Pasuk hey. And the border of the children of Ephraim, according to their families, was and so the border of their inheritance to the east was from Atros Adar to the upper base Charon. The border went out westward north of Michmesas, and the border circled to the east of Ta'anas Shiloh, passing it on the east of Yanocha. The city of Ta'anas Shiloh was a city that sat alongside Shiloh, the first religious center of permanence in Israel, where the Mishkan stood for 369 years. There's a fascinating description in the Gemara Zavachim of the loss of Shiloh. In contrast to the times of the Beis Hamidash, where the Karbanos needed to be eaten within the walls of Yerushalayim, the Karbanos did not have to be eaten within the walls of Shiloh. Any place where you could see Shiloh without obstruction, even if it was many miles out, was fit for eating these sacrifices. And when Shiloh was destroyed, the people sighed and wailed, hence the word ta'anas shiloh, at the loss of this privilege of eating the sacrifices within viewing range of shiloh. What a striking idea that if you're in viewing range, you're also in range of the holiness. Lahavdil, not to compare, but it's kind of like a religious cell tower that creates a holiness range for the people to access their spirituality. Ta'anas Shiloh was the farthest city in spiritual range. And upon the destruction of Shiloh, the people mourned the loss of their spiritual epicenter. Recently, someone asked a very sad but real question at a Shabbos table I was at. What do you say to someone who says they don't miss or even wish for the base Hamidash. My response was, it's hard to mourn when you don't even know what you're missing. This town was named for the sighing of the people as they knew what they no longer had. And we can take a lesson from Tanas Shiloh to find ourselves in spiritual range of learning opportunities, growth-oriented people, spiritual mentors, teachers, rabbeim, rebetzins, mashpios, to assure that we are spiritually connected and at the same time not to lose sight of the ultimate connection point, the Beis Hamidosh, and how we desperately need it to connect to Hashem and His Torah.
How can we mourn if we don't even know what we're missing? It's our obligation, really our responsibility to learn as much as we can and to grow and strive and seek Beis Hamigdash-like experiences so that we can feel connected to our ultimate spiritual source. Pasuk Yud, Velo Horishu Es HaKnani HaYoshev Bagazer. And they did not drive out the Knani that dwelt in Gezer. Vayeshev HaKnani Bekerev Ephraim Ad HaYom Hazeh. Rather, the Knani dwelt in the midst of Ephraim until this day, and they were indentured laborers. Ad it's an expression that we've seen already and we will see again. The Dasofrim explains that it refers to the time when Yehoshua wrote this Sefer. We're now in the midst of apportioning the land to the Shvatim and have highlighted the first two Shvatim to receive their portions, Yehuda and Yosef. We discussed their unique roles and positions among the tribes and the challenge of unity with two strong leaders. Thank you for studying together. Li'ilu'i Nishmot, Imotenu Ayikarot, Esther Oppenheimer, Allah Shalom, and Sarah Shanker, Allah Shalom each deeply devoted and proud to transmit their family's Torah legacy to the next generations.